Today, we're gonna to be talking with Tommy Norman from Nashville, Tennessee, about being a more agile developer. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I wanna give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Today's episode is sponsored by Ackland Avenue. Ackland Avenue is a remote first software development company based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Ackland Avenue wants to be the best place in the world to create custom software. If that sounds like you, you should apply. AcklandAvenue.com slash jobs. Hey, everybody. We're here with Tommy Norman from Nashville, Tennessee. Today, we're going to talk about all things senior developers. So, Tommy, tell us about yourself, please. Uh, yeah, I'm Tommy Norman. I am the Chief Agility Officer at Ackland Avenue, uh, which is a made-up title, but basically means I am over all of our operations and making sure we are doing that in a lean and agile way. And uh, I've been doing this since the early 90s you know i started like a lot of people like i know you and i've talked about i started got that commodore 64 when i was a young kid and played around with that for a while and then i thought i was going to be a pilot and then i was a really bad pilot and so i got back into programming and i was oh uh, wait tommy how do you be a bad pilot and still uh, live? <laughs> well, I had some close calls. I got close enough to the ground one time where I could see the sunglasses on a guy's dashboard in his car before we figured out what was going on. And and after a couple of those, I said, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Plus, it's super expensive. So <laughs> and then I fell into, you know, somebody came to me and said, we're we're looking for network technicians. Do you you know want to come and do that? And I was like, sure. And they, you know, I did you know, all, all the tech support stuff, you know, desktop support, server support, you know, pulling cable everywhere, you know, all that stuff, installing PCs. I eventually started doing training in the in Novell software, the old school Novell software. That then led me to do training in Java, Lotus Notes, and eventually Microsoft. And that's when I started to getting into the Microsoft programming languages. And that started really my in-depth programming career. And of course, moved to .NET, started becoming a lead, then became an architect, uh, started then also being more involved at the high level and process stuff and, and putting, you know, doing some BA work and things like that. And then when I got eventually introduced to Agile, that just is the thing that sang to me. And I started doing that more and more and more and less and less programming until that just became my job, which was you know, helping people adopt these principles, build good teams, build good processes. And that just became my passion is now I don't do the developing, but I try to make the world that the people develop in as best as it can be. So do you ever miss uh, coding itself? 
I do, but it changes so much. That was a young man's game. You know, it, every, every three years, the whole stack changed and I had to learn something new. And when I was young and didn't mind staying up all night and reading MSDN articles or this and, you know, setting up my own sandboxes, that was fine. But it got to the point where you have five kids and uh, a lot of stuff going on and I didn't have that time anymore. Um, and some of the good things about the lean and agile principles is that they're true. I mean, they, they've been around, some of them have been around for hundreds of years. You know, lean uh, uh, has been around since the late 1800s and early 1900s. And that still has to be done no matter what the technology is. It's a little technology agnostic and it's always evolving as well, but it's a little bit slower. The technology is often outpacing it. So every now and then I'll, I'll get a wild hair and want to program something and, then I look into how the kids are doing it these days and it just confuses me. And I say, you know what, I'll stay, I'll stay in my lane. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you never feel tempted to break open VS code and start throwing together a Lambda in AWS. I'm tempted all the time, but um, Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations and I know my limitations. Yeah. I still think I can do a good job at, you know, how things fit together at a high level. So I could still kind of have a good architecture discussion. You know, things still need to get done in certain ways. So I may not know the technology that does this thing anymore, but I still know how, how it has to work. So I could still have kind of a legitimate high-level conversation. But the second they start throwing the acronyms around, I'm like, I don't even know what these mean anymore. Um, and that's when I'm like, I'm out. I'm, you know, and I hire, I hire smarter people than me that I trust. And I just go, all right, handle it, Roy. Just make it happen. You know, Kenny Rogers is another quotable guy. I think he said, uh, you got to know when to hold them. No, that's to right. Hold them. Know no when one to walk, walk away. away. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, and sometimes you run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, man. So, um, I, I too, uh, find myself in, in positions where I don't get to code quite as much and I definitely miss it. And, and so, um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, be, be kind of in, in the training seat for a lot of developers. And so I've, I've been forced to keep up on some of the things, but, but it's still, it can make a, it can make a man's head spin all the different changes that, that happen um, constantly, really constantly. I think, uh, like you said, the, the lean world probably doesn't, or agile world doesn't change too much. Uh, I, I guess the, the extent of how much things change is probably like uh, which new paper airplane game we need to <laughs> use for a conference or something. A new, a new brand of sticky notes. I mean, there definitely are changes. There's definitely people coming up with new things, but it's it's based and entrenched in some truths that are, are, are pretty universal. And so, you know, it's a, it's a little bit easier to get your head around, you know, there's not, there's not a new thing that comes out every couple of months, a new framework or an update to an existing framework that I have to learn as quickly. So it's a little bit easier. It's, but it's almost like, it's like those things like chess or, you know, the, the Japanese go it's simple to, to learn, but really hard to master. And I think that's, that's the thing that kind of really gets me passionate about it is I do miss developing, but when I can take somebody who's better at developing me, cause even when I was developing, I was a mediocre guy. Um, uh, if I can make an environment for them and give them just enough process to excel and, and always be able to do the right thing because it's easy to do, that is what became passionate for me. Falling into the pit of success. Well, I just, you know, letting other people do it. I mean, that's the thing is, is you put in the process and then it lets other people really excel. 
Um, and that's what really got, you know, started being passionate for me and how they got there. I really didn't care. You know, if it's a new language, you know, something I don't understand at all, that's fantastic. You know, but let me help you find the best way to, to build the right thing for the, at the right time. Well said, well said. So, uh, even if you're not coding, you're still working on a daily basis in software development to an extent. So what's something that excites you about the future of software development? I think, you know, and things that are, again, beyond my understanding and learning, but and it's a buzzword, AI. You know, now, mm-hmm. I don't think of it as the way that most people like uh, there's, We have so many people come and say, this needs to have AI. And that's like, that's just a fancy algorithm. That's not really AI. But machines that learn themselves and you know and i know you and i've had this joke before where we've been told our whole lives that this next product is gonna you know we won't need developers anymore we're always going to need developers but just like where you know years and years and years ago you needed to be a mechanical engineer to be a developer and you needed to know low level c plus plus stuff but then net comes out and you don't need to know that anymore you could write line of business applications without it and and it's abstracted and abstracted to where you could focus on the problem a lot more. And, you know, when I see some of these things that are observing a user and adapting the experience to the user, that is an exciting thing to see. You know, that's a lot of stuff that we have to do. We have to, you know, users usually don't know what they want or when they tell you what they want, that's really not the actually what behavior they actually exhibit. And being at a couple of product companies that really did a good job of mining user usage data and having it really say, this is actually how people act and how do we respond to that? And how do we make the system respond to that better? And systems that tell you more uh, and and guide you more, that, that's exciting. I don't know how any of it works, but it's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know how much of it works either. Uh, that's that's for uh, for people that that are on a, on a on a higher pay grade than me for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm also excited about AI. I, I think that there are some scary things about AI because you know we're all we all, we're all Terminator fans and uh, we don't want Skynet to come in and like destroy us all with lasers and and uh, and horrible android time time traveling machines and uh, but at the same time. Uh, GitHub Copilot's kind of cool. It it uh, it's learning how to code better, and uh, you know, I, I I was talking with um, Isaac Martinez the other day about about logins and uh, you know how it, it kind of sucks to have to write a login like fifty times. Why do we have to keep on writing logins? And you know, GitHub uh, Copilot can just do that for us, and that's gonna make that's gonna make software development better. Uh, in in a way, because uh, we'll have better logins for sure, you know, better at least more consistent logins. But maybe it allows programmers to uh, to focus on on more important, more interesting problems to solve. Right. You know, Not it sucks plumbing. for the one guy that loves writing logins, but for the rest of us, we like to solve real problems. <laughs> well, and even an interesting thing would be to see things like static code analysis. You kind of you know brought up things like GitHub. You know, static code analysis, you know, only gets you so far. It can really kind of just look at things and say, you know, looking at this, you didn't put this in the right place or this seems a little clunky. 
But having something could actually come in and say, hey, this is not feeling a good pattern or this is a potential performance problem and things like that. When that starts getting smarter, that will be really interesting because right now, you know, and I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but, you know, the difference between that junior, mid and senior is that person who's been bitten a couple of times and and understands the higher level implications of this pattern I'm using to see AI be able to go and look at a code base and how it talks to each other and and that be part of some automated thing you run regularly and it helps teach junior devs that hey maybe this is a better way to do something that's really interesting as well that would be a really cool thing to see so it's confession time tommy step into my confession booth someday i'm going to have uh some some sound effects for this like <laughs> closing the door and change the eq on the audio and and it sounds like we're in a in a, in a confession booth but for have to use your imagination, Tommy. We're in a confession booth. Trust me. I'm the priest. You're the sinner. Tell me about the worst thing you've ever done with software development. I think the worst thing was it came, my biggest failure came right after my biggest success. I was working for a big, you know, Fortune 50, you know, company, huge manufacturer. We had just done a mobile project early, early on in mobile project days. And it was very, very, very successful. Um, and, and I had a big hand in that and got lots of, you know, attaboys. And they called me back later and said, now we're going to do a tablet one. And this is very, very early on in tablets. This is, you know, uh, mid 2000, you know, 2006, 2007, maybe. Um, so it was very brand new. And the first problem I had is I came in there with all the hubris of, you know what, you know, I am awesome and I do know what I'm doing. If I can do a mobile device, I can, of course I can do a tablet. And I was, you know, coming off of, you know, years of just kind of learning all the solid principles and the gang of four patterns and all these kind of stuff. And, and I thought I had this architecture thing down and I architected, it was like the matrix, you know, I architected this beautiful system these, you know, controls that you could write on and they would do predictive, you know, uh, uh, learning, just, you know, stuff we have now that we take for granted, but didn't exist right then. And I was constantly talking to Microsoft. I was talking to this guy who had invented some of the controls for Outlook when it first came out on tablet. And I built this whole system and, and it was, it utterly collapsed in on itself. You know, it, number one, I was used to web. I had done web for so long. And then when we got to mobile, um, the mobile system actually had a pretty good job of, of memory management because they had so little memory. It actually had built in memory management a little bit better. It was a little bit harder to, to do something wrong, but then we were writing something on just regular PCs. Um, and this is, you know, a windows based installed application using old windows forms. And I was trying to do a lot of stuff. I read MSDN articles on of templates and things like that. And, uh, just in a lot of unknown areas. And I wrote memory leaking controls, uh, the, the templating form where you could create forms and they could template each other, kind of like you could do in the web that had just come out. And I just embraced that fully. That did not work as well as, you know, Microsoft promised it would. And I, I just built a mess and it, it took long, longer than it should have. And it collapsed in on itself and it was, it was buggy and it was just, and I became, I became enamored with technology and I thought there's, there's nothing I can't 
solve with this problem without just more elbow grease and more code. And in the end, that's not what I needed. And, and it, and it crushed me. Yeah. And it, it was not good. And it was, we brought in some more people and they helped try to make it a little bit better, but it never saw the light of day that I know of. And after that experience, I even questioned like, should I be doing this anymore? It was my first really big failure. Um, luckily I had good manager who said, listen, happens to everybody, you know, nobody's going to die. We'll be okay. And then very shortly after that is when real agile was kind of introduced to me. And I went, man, that would have helped a lot to kind of have not tried to build, solve all the world's problems, even though it didn't ask me to and, and get enamored with technology and ignore solving the user's problem first before I started trying to do more. The, the solid principles that you mentioned, uh, were you also doing like TDD and some of the other, uh, the star, the buzz, the buzzwords? No, you know, I mean, we, we did the, all the illities, but we were still very much, um, the cake layer, you know, architecture, very much waterfall. Um, you know, I was a consultant, so there's no way somebody was going to pay me to pair with somebody else and pay two people to do the job of one. They weren't going to pay me. You know, we would do, I kind of got a good introduction to, um, you know, like, test stubs around it, but we wouldn't call it that at that time. We would, uh, uh, you know, we had different names for it, but writing kind of a prototype around something to kind of poke at it and prod it, especially for performance reasons. But I wasn't using any of the actual testing frameworks, you know, at that time. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, I wasn't around anybody who was, that was still, you know, and I don't know if just Nashville was around the time, but you know, in the mid 2000s, nobody was using that, that I know that I knew personally. I remember when I, when I first learned solid principles uh, and, and some of the other illities you said um, like the, the marketing team for those, uh, for those, those sets of principles and those, those uh, you know, TDD and DDD and whatever else DD and uh, solid principles, any kind of architecture, the marketing team for those things is amazing because they sell uh, us developers a, a pretty, a pretty hyped up, bill of goods, maybe of this is going to save your world. This is going to make all of your code better. This is going to produce code free code or sorry, code for code, bug free code. Uh, code free code is where we're going with AI. Right. Um, but, um, it, they, they sell us on the idea that this, this set of principles is going to, is going to fix everything. And, what you experienced, there may have been other, other things going on as far as like not releasing fast enough or frequent enough, but you were also kind of gold plating. It sounds like, uh, the, the, the code, the architecture and trying to build this, this super elegant, uh, masterpiece, uh, you, Tommy, the, the new aspiring craftsman, um, and, and you built this thing and, and, and somehow solid principles failed you. And well, I failed the solid principles is more what happened. You know, I read those and, and the gang of four and, and it's always you like, you could tell when somebody just got out of the gang of four book. Cause they're like, we should use a flyweight pattern. I'm like, I have never used that pattern. You know, they, they have that hammer and they're ready for a nail. And, you know, I read that book, but I didn't have anybody around me who really knew it. And I had to read it a second time. It's only after I got introduced to Agile that I actually really went and good Agile, like really seeing it done well and went back and reread that book that it actually had the impact on me because I read that book as it was just another arsenal of weapons just along with Gang of Four patterns of me to use. 
Um, but I was still in my old mindset. So it's just like when people adopt agile and they use all the names and they have standups and they have, you know, they say they have sprints, but they still have the old mindset. That's why that usually fails as well. So I, even though I read those books, I did not really grok what was going on in there and I was still trying to apply it, but I was also surrounded by everybody else was still doing it the old way as well. And so it wasn't until later that I started finding this little niche of, of agile developers who thought that way that I really started to going, Oh, I was using that all wrong. You know, and I, I think a lot of us get that way, you know, and I still see solid principles used wrong today. Like, you know, we were at a, uh, years ago I was at a company and a guy was using things like he had a first name table in a database, you know, because, Oh, well, if we have multiple people named Tommy, why would I waste that space? And I'm like, Okay, that seems like an abuse. Or I've seen a zip code class, you know, and and maybe there's a need for that, but I, I've just seen it taken sometimes too far. And that's, you know, that's what I was doing as I was taking those and those principles and misapplying them to what I thought would be best. Um, and, you know, in my hubris, and a lot of us get this way where I want this code to be remembered. I want people to look at this code and these, these especially these ink controls I was writing. Because uh, it was, it was really cutting edge stuff, and it was really cool. Um, but I, I then became more enamored with the technology, and technology is not the thing; it's the thing that gets me to the thing. And I stopped focusing on the user, and that mm. was that is the the biggest sin of all. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, Tommy. Way to way to tie it back to the the original <laughs> thing. Um, man, I I. I I like how you didn't like completely just throw the, I, I was trying to lead you to, to throw some of the blame on the solid principles. And you said that it was really, it was really you that, that was misusing. And I, I, I see that a lot. People, people learn about, about single responsibility principle, for instance, and all of a sudden everything must be optimized uh, and, and, and narrowed down to one, reason to fail one responsibility or the the world is coming to an end or I can't be a good software engineer. And um, one of the things that I think could go back and do it again at that job, you might've, you might've done a lot better if you had like a coach or a mentor to walk alongside of you to, to not only show you, Hey, there are these solid principles, but also model for you the, the correct way to implement them or, or to, uh, to, to, you know, in, with moderation, with, with some intelligence, apply those principles to what you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and it, what it really had happened is that was kind of probably my first step in that I was then the guy, you know, before I had usually been, had a mentor with me, even when on the mobile project, the guy who was probably my mentor came on and he actually came on later. So he technically kind of reported to me, but that team was very much a flat team and we all worked really well together. And then this one was the first time where I was in the driver's seat. I was totally, I was given the best and worst thing you can get developer, a blank canvas and total trust. And, and I was a little mad scientist and I didn't have those people around me. And, and I was even at times when people, you know, you know, they get they they gave me a bunch of people on there because they always had to have some people from from the company. Like they're always like, we have to have somebody from the company on there, full time employees, so we don't lose IP and da da da. But they would just give you kind of like 
the developer down the road and and they were just kind of hanging on for dear life. And I had a BA who was a brand new BA, didn't really know what they were doing. And again, in my hubris, I thought, I know better than all of these people. And then sometimes I was a jerk and kind of let them know that, that I thought that. And at the end, I had to be, I had to eat a lot of crow. And that junior dev who was on my project was on another project and he wrote some other app for them. And it was a very you know small app and everything was in the click event. It wasn't object oriented. It wasn't using any of the things that you and I know you're supposed to use. And I was almost kind of scoffing at it like, oh my gosh, this is so simple. And this is not using, it's not reasonable. Blah, blah, blah. And his program was implemented and making lots of money and automating things. And mine was sitting on a shelf. So the joke was on me. <laughs> in the end, you know, it doesn't matter until it's actually out there in the user's hands making money. You've got so many sins. I don't know if I can handle, like I can't <laughs> come up with enough Hail Marys and whatever. Active contritions, all that stuff. Yeah, I can't. I, there's not enough. <laughs> well, I will <laughs> say the second I had profit and loss responsibility of a software project and I hired a bunch of me's, I went, oh my gosh, I need to go to every dev manager I ever had and apologize. Because I could hear the silly things I would say about, you don't understand how software is supposed to be. And it's this, that, and the other. And it's well-intentioned. It is very well-intentioned. But then it usually is, I can start to smell, you are more enamored with the technology. And mm -hmm. the technology is becoming the thing. And again, just like Agile, Agile is not the thing. It's the thing that gets me to the thing. And if I'm working for a business, it's about providing a solution that increases revenue, protects revenue, decreases costs or avoid costs in the story that don't make dollars don't make sense. And when we lose sight of that, that's usually when the trouble starts happening. It's time for you to take control. Hey, Byron here coming at you from a different place in time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important. You've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer. You should join the Dev Amplifier, the mastery growth system for software developers. In the Dev Amplifier, you'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month, so stop everything else that you're doing right now. Pause this podcast and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. So Tommy, I know you work with a lot of developers on a daily basis. You're involved in lots of projects that are running. And I know you got, you got a bird's eye view of software developers and, and surely there are some things that you just wish they would get better at. Um, what, what would that be, Tommy? I know you got something just on the, on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> First, don't call me Shirley. And second, uh, absolutely. I, you know, to kind of go on with that theme, it is, is don't get enamored with technology. You know, know what you're trying to solve. Um, I've been at so many places where the developers look at the problem in front of them and solve that. And they do that so many times. And then they suddenly look up and they have wandered way out of the lines. And 
and made something that's untenable. Um, or, you know, like, like I did, like, you know, I got so enamored with technology, I could have solved these people problem, the, the problems with this solution I was trying to do much easier, much simpler, and gotten something in their hands much faster. And I didn't, because I thought I could build something that would be so much greater. Um, so taking a step back, and I remember when I was a developer, I totally get it. Anything else that wasn't coding was crap. I didn't want to do that. I don't want to be in meetings. I don't want to be in a grooming meeting. I don't want to be in a planning meeting. I want to get out of that meeting as fast as possible so I can get back to drinking, you know, caffeinated cola and eating chips and writing code till the wee hours of the morning. I remember those days. And, and, but I've also seen when you take that, you know, the smartest developers, but you aim them at the wrong thing, you know, you get bad consequences. So developers who really, instead of thinking I have to write the best code or the best thing, and that's, you know, we need clean code and things like that, but I want to write, you know, the best thing fit for purpose for, to help this person. You know, I want to find joy in helping the target user, not just with my code itself. Um, you know, balancing both of those things. There's a guy uh, that I know that he says, you know, every extra line of code I have to write, I see as a failure. Yeah, he's a true engineer. So he's like there, I can't remember the guy who wrote the little prince. He has a quote where, you know, the truly elegance of something is when you can, there is nothing left to take away. Mm. Rather than technologists who want to put everything in the kitchen sink on top of it. I want to pull all my tricks out and show you how smart I am. You know, the elegance of some solutions, just that is, you know, what, what I wish developers would really focus on more. Hmm. Good stuff, Tommy. Good stuff, man. You've got some wisdom. Where are you, where are you getting this from? <laughs> well, it's, it's like the old joke, you know, the, the young businessman sees the old successful businessman and he goes, how'd you get so successful, sir? And he goes, good decisions, son, good decisions. And he goes, how did you make all those good decisions? He goes, bad decisions, son, bad decisions. It's from, you know, you and I've had this conversation before of how do you teach experience? How do you take somebody? Cause you can have all the knowledge in the world and, and, and it's your superpower, but if you don't use it in the right way, it can go so horribly wrong. And, and sometimes you just have to use it a couple of times in a wrong way and take your lumps and go, dude, I never want to have that happen again. And I'm going to be different. And that's time. And I don't know how to, it's hard to accelerate that. How do you do that? Yeah, I, I think it can be done. It just, it's not something that happens accidentally. It's, it's, it's something you can't, you can't just fall into. I mean, you can, you can fall into seniority by falling like a thousand times accidentally. And you might eventually fall into the right pit that has the right ladder so that you can get out a little faster. But, um, I, uh, I've, I've got to believe that people can grow faster and better if they just focus intentionally on, on growing in the right directions and falling in the sure. right pits. Well, and you said it before, you know, having good mentors, having really somebody who will take the time and, and that's hard because just because you're really good at developing or software doesn't make you a good mentor. You know, that there's a different mindset in that. Um, you know, good mentors are patient. Good mentors are, are, allow you give you kind of enough rope sometimes that you have to take some of those little lumps 
Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, that's where, and I know we're going to get to this in a second, but you know, when you talk about great developers, we talk about senior developers, it's, it's, they know what not to do or, you know, they know when to wait. Like I used to have a guy who would say, you know, he would complain about, I, I'm a, I'm a slow typist. And he was like, you got to get your typing up and you got to be faster. If you're, if you're a faster typer, you're a better developer. I was like, no, 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 that is, that is not true. If you're a faster typer, that just means whatever you can do is going to be done faster. And if you do something bad, it will just be bad faster, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Let's get it done quickly. But just to, to kind of equate that was a bad correlation to me, you know, and, you know, sometimes me taking a little, lo little longer to get there gave me time to think something through mm -hmm. and, uh, and get there and, and mentors who have patience, mentors who allow their people to kind of, you know, it's not, it's more focused on growth than results. And you have to take different stances at different times and where you are in that, that kind of matrix of growth versus results. Um, I think that's important. That's how you can accelerate it. You know, I coded by myself for a long time. I didn't have a lot of people around me. And so that I did exactly what you were saying. I took a very long path and I stumbled and bruised my knees a lot where somebody could have said, Hey, just don't step on those rocks. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've done this before. So finding, a, you know, it can sometimes accelerate that a little bit and you won't have to make so such big mistakes sometimes. So what are some other great things or things that great developers are doing or, or some attitudes or behaviors that, that mark a really great developer? Um, you know, keeping in the theme, it is, you know, an elegant solution to me is a simple solution, you know, uh, yeah, I was I was on an architecture panel one one time for a, a user group, and there's a couple of architects and, and me, and I was definitely the most junior guy on this this thing, and I was an aspiring art, you know software architect. And they asked, "How do you make a good architecture?" And I, again, you know, this is early in my career, and I was still in that mode of, well, I would think about all the things I have in my toolbox, and and you know, apply all the things that make sense. And I was kind of thinking of this throw the kitchen sink at it, all the tricks I have. What's the latest framework guy, I've learned? Yes. You know, and the guy next to me kind of looked at me and he was older, you know, a little bit older than me. He'd been doing it for a little bit longer. He worked for Microsoft and he said, I don't think that would be good at all. I would find the simplest solution that would work and do this. And he kind of, you know, contradicted me. And, Ooh, I was mad. Oh my God. I was mad at that man. You know, made me look like a fool. <laughs> and then, you know, just a couple of years later is when all this stuff I just told you happened. And I was like, now that guy was pretty smart. You know, it was, you know, it was that, you know, I've made the bad decision of applying technology in the ways that, that don't make sense or are unneeded. Um, so sometimes the best thing I see a really good developer do is know when not to do something. You know, you get, you get a new developer and they're like a puppy who wants to pee on everything, you know, and I've seen them <laughs> just like you said, we used to have these junior guys and we're like, all right, that guy right there, whatever book you see on his desk. Next week is what he's going to be recommending everywhere. And that happened. A guy was looking, he had a, a, a VB.net threading book on his desk. The next week, we are talking about a web page, a pretty simple web page. And he goes, You know what we need here is threading. And I'm like, Really? You know, because 
I don't think so. You know, you're going to start spinning up threads in a browser. And he said, well, it's possible you can just, and it was when Ajax first came out and he says, you know, Oh, we'll do Ajax. I was like, that's not threading. That's just opening up. That's like me opening up two instances of the word. Go look, I'm threading. You know, I guess technically you could say that is, but it was so funny to watch, you know, everything, you know, he just really had to use everything in his arsenal all the time. And I was just like, slow down, you know, that, that, you know, think of the user, what is the need? And the simplest thing that will get them there with enough ability to be refactored later, you know, that's the caveat to not making, you know, I was the same thing when I first got into agile, only building enough for each iteration sounded like a great way to make a Frankenstein, Hmm. but that's what the solid principles are about. That's when I reread that and went, that's why I make these seams. Michael Feathers would always talk about creating seams. And that's what single responsibility or factory patterns or adapter patterns do is they allow me to kind of say, here's a thing that in my experience is most likely to change in probability. Everything can change, but you know, that's if you think everything can change, that's where you write a factory for first name classes, you know, which is silly. But you say, what's most likely to change? And let me put a seam around that and let me make sure that the things in there are loosely coupled. It's abstracted away from the things that don't need to know about it in a, in a, the simplest way. And then hopefully later the system can accept changes in an elegant way. And that doesn't mean no code. That's another thing is thinking, I'm going to write this architecture and I never have to code again. That is silly. Because if I'm agile and I'm going to welcome changing requirements very late in the process, I have to welcome changes into the architecture. And that makes people want to build an architecture that could solve any problem. And that's just that that is a fool's errand. You know, solve the problem that's there, make it, you know, open for extension and hopefully require the least amount of refactoring if the things we think are probable come true. And that's probably good enough. And that restraint is what you see in great developers. So, I, I totally agree. And um, that is definitely one of those things that that marks the difference between juniority and seniority in developers that uh, juniors uh, are assisted and, and for, for very good reasons. This is a really exciting stuff. And they they are optimized for learning at that moment. They are they are in the middle of of courses and reading books and um, and just very excited about that. But they they uh, as they grow as they mature, they start to realize what you're saying that that they need to have this knowledge and this awareness and this ability to implement. But but apply patterns and practices with caution so that we don't kill the the application or the team just because we want to try out something new right well and we've talked about it before it's very popular in the agile community of the the concept of shuhari around mastery you know where shu is i am taught how to do this and given fairly constrained practices and rules to practice over and over again so i get really good at the mechanics of something i do it and then like the master taught me because absolutely that's, I, the rule what I was is I'm supposed to do it just how the master has taught me. And then you start getting in the ha and you, mark, you start seeing where, okay, but this doing it this way now is not working as well. And maybe there's a way to still get to the fundamental principle of what this 
practice was supposed to be, but I can use a different practice. And you start experimenting with different practices. And Still then with the master get, close by to help you sure. to get back to yeah, somebody, somebody kind of there. And then re is when you really kind of become that master, that mentor. Yeah. And now you, you have a lot of practices under your belt and you also have a lot of experience of, of knowing when to apply them. You know, knowledge is one thing. Knowledge is just, you know, I know how to do this thing. Intelligence is then how to apply it to something. And wisdom is to know when not to apply it to something <laughs> that just, you know, and, and, you know, some people are really good at different things. And, you know, I may not be as knowledgeable about technology anymore, but I do feel like I have a lot of wisdom from experience and intelligence and how to apply those elements there. And that's, that's what, you know, like you said, when you bring this junior developer is really good at coding and they are just, you know, so good at, at, you know, adapting, you know, what they're doing and applying it to problems and solving a problem with code, you know, giving them that, that experience of, okay, but why did you do that? Is there another way to do this? What is this going to look like in the future? You know, um, what is possible? What is probable? What is needed? What is not needed? Um, and, you know, the Socratic method of asking lots of questions, and and getting them starting to think outside of that that shoe you know shoe box that's a pun I didn't intend but the box of shoe is is I only do these rules and going that's fine and you've you've sharpened your axe and it's pretty sharp now but now let me show you how to be careful with that so you don't actually nick yourself or others exactly so um, I I see you Tommy as as a uh, an agile expert a lean expert somebody that that really has agile at the core of everything you do i mean when you drink a glass of water you drink it in the most agile way i've seen you i know this so um we would be we'd be uh doing the world a, a misjust a, a disjustice injustice we would be doing the world an injustice if we didn't have uh, have you speak at least for a little while about what great developers do that that promote agile concepts or agile principles? Um, I think it it really is. Yeah, you know, we're we're really hammering in this theme. Um, I definitely I was a big Scrum and Agile guy, and then when I got introduced to Kanban and Lean, that's probably where my heart landed a little bit more because it's more about continuous improvement. And that that's the thing is that any of these things, you know, Agile, Scrum, XP, Lean, Kanban, whatever it is, it is about continuous improvement at the end of the day. Do a thing, look at the thing, inspect and adapt it, and then try to do it better next time. And, and part of that is doing it in small enough steps where when you do screw up, it has the least amount of impact and you can learn. You can fail fast and learn quickly. And that's true of all of these. And so that's why also when, when people say, oh, we can't really do agile here. I'm like, yo, replace that word with continuous improvement. And does that sentence still make sense? We don't want to continuously improve here. Hmm. Um, so taking that spirit of continuous improvement is a thing that, you know, I really think developers need to take to heart and not just developers, everybody on a team, QA, UX, everybody, is this idea of let's think big, work small, fail fast, and learn quickly. And another part of that 
that comes to mind with, with really good developers is the idea of we're a team. You know, not just, oh, I work by myself. I code, 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 and I throw it over to wall to QA, and then I code, 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 and that's all I do, and that's all the value I br bring. Um, and anything working on anything else that's not code is is suboptimal, and that can get into conflict because you know I can write one line of code in thirty minutes that takes you know hours and hours and hours to test because I have to set up and try it different ways and set up test data and test environments, and so if I can do that all day long, and if I don't have adequate QA people behind me or even if i do have adequate qa but i can run faster than they can i'm going to swamp them and so i might actually hurt the system by doing too much i am optimizing myself but it is making other parts of the process suboptimal and so there's the concept of optimizing the whole not only in a process but as a team and so you know this came from lean manufacturing and if you were in a manufacturing floor you're usually taught how to use the machine that you're brought in for but you're also taught how to use the machine before you and afterwards in case stuff gets stuck and you can go and help. And so times when QA is stuck, going to a developer and saying, let's go help QA. And I get a lot of pushback, you know, it, it, you know, especially from, you know, I, I would, I'd say junior, but I've seen it from senior. I've seen it from every walk of life when I've done this in the past, you know, where a senior developer, when I said, Hey, I need you to go in the lab and help QA kind of get through this last group of stuff for the sprint and and they said to me well you know do you really want somebody that's paid as much as me going in and doing qa and i said well first of all how do you know i don't pay qa more than you you know they help me find and discover bugs and you you write them and secondly get your butt in there you know if we have more code at the end of this sprint but i have half finished stories because they weren't tested that adds no value you know code by itself has no value a server by itself a requirement by itself a test by itself None of it has value until it's all been all the way through and it's actually in the hands of the user. So only focusing on your one little piece of that is, is not only detrimental to the whole team, but it seems selfish, you know, and being a team player. So I think that's another thing that I would look at is if you're focused on what is the thing that's actually bringing value, you sometimes find that the thing you do isn't what's needed at that time. And being willing to say, and being willing to say, I will go and like our, our friend Colin says, I will go sweep the floors. I will go do what's necessary that's outside of my normal comfort zone or expected work and help to get us closer to done because that's the thing that actually needs to be, you know, done at the time. And yeah, that you is seem another kind thing of I surprise that, yeah. that that behavior came out of out of a senior. But uh, I, what I've noticed is that um, seniority is is made up of many different aspects, and some people have um, a heavy portion of some of those aspects, and then maybe are are lacking in others. And, and we get the, we get these titles, senior developer, lead developer, architect, chief, this chief, that, and you know, it's just, it's just a, it's just some words on a resume. It's just something on a piece of paper. Just like you said at the beginning, you, your, your title is made up. My title is made up. We just, we just call each other these things to, to help somehow designate where we stand in, in the machine. Um, but seniority 
is is um it's a continuum on many different axes uh, for all of us, and we all need to grow constantly, especially those guys that that are not willing to go and sweep the floors. Yeah. And, and there's so many people in my career over time that I was like, that is a really smart person. And he's probably smarter than me as far as just pure knowledge. Uh, very smart person. And I don't want to ever work with him because he's hard to work with, you know, and things like, and I think I've been sometimes that person. I know that, you know, like I told you in my hubris, I was probably difficult to work with. And, and it's a lesson I've tried to learn and, and struggled with for a long time. Um, and, and I think a thing that came to me later, that'd be another thing to really start early on developers is empathy. You know, that's, I think what happens is when you're not empathetic to the user or you're not empathetic to your other members of your team and you only focus on what makes you feel good, which is coding or whatever it is, then you, you can be the most senior person and know how to code circles around everybody, but nobody will want to work with you. You know, and, and I think that's a thing that I've worked on because I was a pretty selfish person. You know, it was always like me, me, me and learning to be empathetic and, and it not being first, first nature to me and having to retrain my brain to think that way. And I'm not always successful at it, but it's something I really strive for. And I think the second I really made some breakthroughs on that is when I actually became a much better, you know, whatever you want to call me, developer coach, mentor, you know, producer of things. You know, I became a better asset to whatever I was put on simply by just being more empathetic to the people I was working with and the people I was working for. So the, the next thing I was going to ask you, Tommy, is, is about some advice you'd give to the world's junior developers. So I, I, I hear, uh, hopefully everybody heard that, that we need to work on this muscle called empathy. Uh, it's, it's somewhere back there in my back. I don't know where it is, this muscle, but it's something that's, it's, it's hard to, to attain, um, accidentally. But if we focus on this intentionally, we start to notice where, where we're falling down in the empathy world. Uh, and there may be some other aspects of an emotional intelligence that we need to adopt as well. Uh, just to be better developers. But um, aside from empathy, what is a piece of advice from your catalog of sage wisdom, Tommy, uh, that you would give to the world's junior developers? What would that be? Um, I mean, it piggybacks a little bit on this, and you've, I've seen this movement a lot, especially when I look at conferences and things like that, is, is the soft skills part of it. You know, the, now, you know, you know, back in my day when I first started programming, we didn't have Stack Overflow. We didn't have as easily these things to search for. You know, you had to read books. You had to really kind of learn these things. It is actually, you know, a lot easier now to get fairly up to speed. And you could actually, you know, build some pretty complex things just based on what you can find out there, you know. Um, and, and so I do think that the availability of knowledge these technologies that make a lot of things generate a lot of things for us, you know, ORMs and code, you know, generators and the things you were talking about with, with GitHub, it make it, it makes it where that you don't have to worry about that is the code stuff as much. And so then it becomes about solving the problem. And if you want to solve the problem, you're going to have to go and talk to people. And that's where the soft skills come in. 
and and empathy is one of them but there's all you know having crucial conversations there's having you know being analytic having analytical ways of looking at things um i think that and and usually what i see is that's ignored with a lot of junior people and that's what you see the the kind of mid and senior people start working on because they realize how important it is and so if there's some way we could instill that at early on and say listen knowing how to code is great but knowing then when and how to use that code and interact with others to figure that out is the essential thing that will take you to that next level and if you could do that earlier i think that would really help you and that would probably to your point of what we were saying accelerate your path because if you're open and interacting with people in honest and empathetic ways you're going to pick up a lot of continuous improvement just along the way and you're going to pick up the the advice better and be coachable better. You know, I can absolutely tell you at certain times in my career, I was uncoachable because I thought I knew everything, you know, and, and that is really bad. And that's, that's what, you know, if I can then look at my failures, it was usually preceded by one of those times in my life Mm. when I was uncoachable. So learn soft Mm. skills and be coachable, be open to Mm. coaching. It's good stuff, man. Um, I hope all the juniors out there are listening because, uh, this is something that you need. You need, you need to be ready to accept coaching, uh, and you need to grow those muscles that, that help you to be able to relate to other people. Gone are the days of the developers that are, uh, down in the basement, locked away, uh, pizza slid under the door and, um, and not having to interact with everybody else. The, the stakes are higher. Developers are are expected now to to be in the mix with everybody. Uh, developers are expected to be in the meeting with stakeholders and defending uh, decisions or 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 asking questions to dig in deeper. And they need to be able to do that. And we really need our junior developers to be able to do that too. I mean, it, it, we shouldn't just expect the the more experienced developers to to be able to do those things. We 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 need our junior developers with all of their creativity and ingenuity, uh, our ingenuity and and energy, uh, to be able to to get in there and and um, and participate in the machine as well. Right, and to bring it back to where we even started at the beginning, whatever technology you're working on right now, in five years is going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be you know maybe not totally new, but pretty new. It'll be different, and you'll be using it a different way. But those soft skills you will use forever. You know, they will be a toolbox, you know, something that will be there forever for you. And, and that, so that, that's another reason I think to invest in them because, you know, I may not be using the technology part of, of my, you know, experience anymore. Uh, but the soft skills actually became, you know, the better thing. Like I told you, I was a mediocre developer at best. But I was always given the senior job because I could talk to people, I could listen to people, I could lead teams, I could boil it down to the simplest thing that'll work and apply technology in a, in a useful way. And that was worth more than just pure knowledge and coding power. You know, and then, you know, I then would get teams with people who had that pure, so I could then kind of help, you know, do that. But that's, you know, I had a guy one time said, you know, how did you get this position of, you know, you're a mediocre developer? And I'm like, you're right. Like, I think he meant it as an insult. And I was like, you're right. I am. 
but that's not the thing, you know, and that, and, and that's, you know, me seeing the soft skills and the ability to apply technology was actually, you know, a rarer thing because we had lots of people who knew technology. Mm-hmm. And so that, that would be the thing that would be the advice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well said. So Tommy, how can people follow you or reach out to you? Uh, so probably the, the most interactive way is probably LinkedIn, to be honest. I think, you know, that's, that's an old man response of LinkedIn. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on all the social medias besides that, but I can't say I'm super active. LinkedIn is a place that I probably have the most connections. I respond to the most in there. I have my blog at TommyNorman.com, but I can't say that I have really, you know, really spent a lot of time there. I have probably moved more stuff to, to there. So just Tommy Norman on LinkedIn, you can find me there, connect with me there, ask me questions, see the silly post I put up. Uh, and articles and things I put up there. And then I have a lot of content out on O'Reilly Learning. So if you have access to O'Reilly Learning online, I have videos and online training and all sorts of stuff there as well. Nice, nice. And in case there are like 10 other Tommy Normans on LinkedIn, <laughs> yours is the one with the uh, the luxurious flowing hair and True. an Eklund Avenue shirt. And you're you're slightly lounging on to the side on the chair. That's right. I've got my casual gangster lean, but I'm also, I am Tommy Norman, all one word. That is, I don't have any numbers after it. If you go to LinkedIn, that is true. True. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Tommy Norman. Awesome. Tommy, thank you so much for your time. I know uh, it was probably a bit of a sacrifice to, uh, to, to set aside all this time to get on here with me and record this podcast, but I really, really do appreciate you appreciate what you are are doing for the development community by by helping to enable developers and teams to 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 do the best work that they could possibly do uh through agile principles and 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 just great teamwork um and and i also appreciate you for 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 being here on this podcast with me so thanks so much absolutely thank you very much you're welcome and, and thank you very much for having me it's i really like what you're doing here and I think this is very important stuff that needs to be out there for people to learn. So to be a, a small part of it is, is an honor. So thank you for having me. You got it, man. All right. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be, a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer. And we'll see you next time.